This evening, we're continuing our overview of the Old Testament book titled Ezra. And with this as the focus, if you would, let's open our Bibles to Ezra chapter 5. As you make your way to the fifth chapter of Ezra, I just want to take a moment to put our text back into its context. It'll first help us to remember that Ezra wrote this book in order to provide us with a historical record of the days after the Babylonian captivity, you know, when the Israelites were finally set free and, and, and then encouraged to return to their land uh, and, and, uh, so that they could worship the Lord there. Uh, there on Temple Mount. And, and so after 70 years of captivity, you know, they were finally able to return and repopulate the land of promise. Unfortunately for them, though, uh, they quickly discovered that many areas of Israel, <clears throat> while they were already occupied by foreigners who themselves weren't too happy about the return of God's chosen people. And as we saw in our study last week, the inhabitants of the land, they did everything they could do to discourage and to trouble and to frustrate the people of Judah. They became angry antagonists of God's chosen people. For example, they attempted to infiltrate the ranks of Israel's leadership by pretending to be friends when, in fact, they were foes. And when that plan failed to work, they decided to call then upon a higher authority. And they did this by sending a strongly worded letter of concern to the king of Persia. In response to this letter, that's when King Xerxes commanded the Israelites to stop their construction project immediately. And without hesitation, those angry antagonists were, 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 who were you know, already living there in the land of promise, they, they began to use the command of the king to then control the people of God. They actually took up arms against them and, and demanded that they stop rebuilding the temple. Well, now as we consider this situation, we must not fail to recognize the rub then that exists when it comes to the conflict that occurs when the commands of government contradict the commands of God. Remember, uh, the Lord is the one who instructed King Cyrus to initially set the Israelites free so that they could then return to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple of God. But then three years later, the new king of Persia ordered them to cease and desist. So God told them to build the temple. King Xerxes told them to stop building the temple. And with that being the case, the Israelites were then on the horns of a, of a real dilemma here, being forced to choose between disobeying God or disobeying the king. Well, as we spend our time considering the way that the Israelites handled this disobedient, uh, disobedience dilemma, you know, it's my hope that we'll all learn a lesson that will become more and more relevant to us especially as we continue to watch our country being led by those who impose godless policies. And you better believe that there's coming a day in the very near future when every Christian will probably be forced to face a similar sort of disobedience dilemma. And so with this as the focus, let's consider how the Israelites handled this dilemma. If you would look with me here at Ezra chapter 5, I want to begin reading there at verse 1. Here Ezra writes, then the prophet Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Edud, prophets prophesied to the, to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. So Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Yeshua, the son of Josadak, uh, rose up and began to build the house of God, which is in Jerusalem, and the prophets of God were with them, helping them. Now, here in the beginning of this chapter, we find Ezra He's recounting the days when the Lord raised up the prophets, Haggai and Zechariah. And it was through the mouths of these prophets that the Lord then instructed his people to ignore the command 
of King Xerxes. And in order to prove my point, let's consider the prophecy that the Lord presented through the mouth of the prophet Haggai. And so hold your place here in the book of Ezra. I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to Haggai chapter 1. As you make your way to the first chapter of Haggai, I should take a moment to point out that the prophecy found in this text was actually given to Haggai in the second year of a Persian king named Darius. And what this means then is that this prophecy was actually presented 14 years after the reconstruction of the temple was stopped. So so they'd been sitting there for 14 years not working on the temple. And with this context in mind, look with me there at Haggai chapter 1. I want to begin reading at verse 1 here. Haggai writes, In the second year of King Darius in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai, the prophet, to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, saying, Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, saying, This people says the time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple to lie in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and bring in little. You eat, but do not have enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put in bags with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountains and bring wood and build the temple that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. Here in these verses, we find the Lord challenging his chosen people. And the reason why is because they had spent the last 14 years working on their own homes while the temple of God remained in ruins. And we see here in these verses that, you know, the Lord basically mocks and quotes those who are saying, this is not the time for the temple to be rebuilt. And he's saying, oh, yes, it is. It's long overdue. And as we consider the words of this rebuke, you know, there's no doubt in my mind here that the Lord expected them to disobey the orders of the king who commanded them to stop building the temple. The king said, stop building. And God says, you need to get back to it and do what I told you. Further proof of my point can be found in Zechariah chapter 1. Here the Lord reminds his people of the promise that he made when he declared, I am returning to Jerusalem with mercy My house shall be built in it, says the Lord of hosts, and a surveyor's line shall be stretched out over Jerusalem. The leaders of Israel knew that the Lord had commanded them to return to Israel and rebuild the temple, and in this they would experience the mercy of the Lord. And while they began this building project, it sat there for 14 years as they disobeyed the Lord. And why? Well, because they had received the executive orders of a human king. With that being the case, the Lord then raised up the prophet Zechariah and he raised up the prophet Haggai to go and rebuke the Jews so that they might realize that the people of God should always obey God. And yes, even when this means that they must disobey the commands of an earthly king. And and it's here in the book of Haggai where we learn that this rebuke was actually received. As a matter of fact, look with me again here at Haggai chapter 1. 
want to direct your attention there to verse 12. Here we learn that Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the presence of the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, spoke the Lord's message to the people, saying, I am with you, says the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year of King Darius. Here in these verses, we learn about the way in which the people of God were moved by the prophetic word of God. And it was at this point in time when the leaders of Israel then encouraged the people to realize that it's better to obey the prophetic word of God. And yes, even when the commands of God have been criminalized by unrighteous rulers. As we consider their decision to disobey the executive order of the king, I can't help but to recall the way in which the apostles of Christ, they also decided to disobey the direct orders of Israel's high priest. And with this as our focus, let's take some time to consider Luke's account of that decision. Continue holding your place there in the book of Ezra. I'd like you to turn in your Bible to the book of Acts. If you would, let's turn to Acts chapter 5. As you make your way to the fifth chapter of Acts, I just want to take a moment to remind you that there came a day when the priests of Israel and the captain of the temple and all the Sadducees, they went and placed the apostle Peter and the apostle John under arrest. On the next day, the religious leaders of Israel, they commanded Peter and John to stop teaching and preaching to people about Jesus Christ. And in response, Peter and John simply declared, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. In other words, hey, you know, you're going to tell me that I need to obey you over God? Think that through. Well, they went back to their evangelism, and it wasn't long before the apostles of Christ found themselves once again being persecuted for preaching the gospel, and they were locked away. As a matter of fact, look with me here at Acts chapter 5. I want to focus your attention beginning at verse 27. Here Luke writes, And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. In case you didn't figure it out from the last question I posed, let me answer it for you. We're going to obey God. And even if obeying God means we have to disobey men. You see, when it comes to the conflict that's created by unrighteous leaders who contradict the word of God, listen, the people of God should always choose to obey God rather than those rulers who would tell us to disobey God. Now, now we can pray that we would always have rulers who will make rules that are in line with the word of God. That, that makes it easy for us. I don't think any Christian should want to be a law-breaking citizen. And yet, if an unrighteous ruler is going to create a conflict between the rules of men and the rules of God, Christians should obey God first. And even if this... Obedience to God results in religious persecutions that are caused by unrighteous rulers and their regulations. With this in mind, I want to consider how the Israelites dealt with this 
during the days of Ezra. And so if you would, let's turn back to Ezra chapter 5. Let's pick up our study of Ezra 5, beginning at verse 3. Here Ezra writes, at the same time, Tatanai, the governor of the region beyond the river, and Shethar, Bosnai, and their companions came to them and spoke thus to them, Who has commanded you to build this temple and finish this wall? Then accordingly we told them the names of the men who were constructing this building. But the eye of their God was upon the elders of the Jews, so that they could not make them cease till a report could go to Darius. And a written answer was returned concerning this matter. Now here in these verses we're introduced to this Persian ruler named Tatanai, and uh, for the sake of clarity, it'll help you to know that Tatanai was a governor of the Persian provinces, which were west of the Euphrates River, which then included Syria, the Arabian Desert, Phoenicia, and Samaria, as well as Judea. And, and that being the case, you know, this was the Persian governor who was actually sent to go and investigate the Israelites who had clearly decided to disobey the king of Persia. And it's there in the second half of verse 3 where the governor asks, who has commanded you to build this temple and finish this wall. Under whose orders are you doing this? Now, the obvious answer to this question is God. God told us to do this. God was the one who commanded them to rebuild the temple, and, and God was the one who commanded them to finish the wall. And you better believe that Zerubbabel uh, was quick to insist that they were simply obeying the king of kings. And not only that, but Zerubbabel also informs Tatanai uh, that king, the king, uh, you know, king Cyrus had also been the one that commanded them to return to Jerusalem so that they could rebuild the temple according to the command of the Lord. And therefore, their decision to disobey one Persian king was actually a decision to obey another Persian king. Well, after receiving this answer from the Israelites, Tatanai was then moved by the Spirit of God so that he might provide the Israelites with the opportunity to pre present their case to the current king of Persia. As a matter of fact, look with me again there at verse 5. Here we learn that the eye of their God was upon the elders of the Jews so that they could not make them cease till a report could go to Darius. Then a written answer was returned concerning this matter. Don't you just love government red tape? You know, here, here's this Persian governor, and, and his hands are tied uh, until a report can go to, uh, back, back to uh, the king. And, and, and I believe that, you know, partially this was a move of God. You know, Tatnai was, was moved, uh, I think, by the Lord, by the Spirit of God, to, to provide the people with an opportunity to plead their case. And, and in this way, he actually allowed them to continue working until King Darius responded to their letter. I think that he knew that their case was solid. And so he used government red tape to allow them to continue working until they could receive news back from King Darius. Now, if you're wondering about the content of this report that was written and sent to Darius, well, I'm happy to inform you that we actually have the biblical record right here in our text tonight. And with this as the focus, look with me here at Ezra chapter 5. We'll pick up our study beginning at verse 6. Here Ezra writes, this is a copy of the letter that Tatnai sent, the governor of the region beyond the river, and Shethar, Bosnai, and his companions, the Persians who were in the region beyond the river to Darius the king, they sent a letter to him in which was written thus, to Darius the king, all peace. 
let it be known to the king that we went into the province of Judea to the temple of the great God, which is being built with heavy stones and timber is being laid in the walls. And this work goes on diligently and prospers in their hands. Then we asked those elders and spoke thus to them, who commanded you to build this temple and to finish these walls? We also asked them their names to inform you that we might write the names of the men who were chief among them. And thus they returned us an answer saying, we are the servants of the God of heaven and earth and we are rebuilding the temple that was built many years ago, which uh, a great king of Israel built and completed But because our fathers provoked the God of heaven to wrath, he gave them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, the Chaldean, who who destroyed this temple and carried the people away to Babylon. Now, I want to stop right here. This isn't the end of the letter, uh, but I just want to take a moment to consider the way that this letter, which was sent from Tatnai to King Darius, actually includes the stated position which was written by the elders of Israel. And it's there beginning in verse 11 where we find the elders of Israel, uh, they're giving their testimony by assuring King Darius that they were rebuilding the temple there in Jerusalem because the God of heaven and earth told them to. They're saying, hey, we're the servants of God. We're just doing whatever the king of kings told us to do. Now, the obvious question that somebody would ask in in follow-up is this. If your God is so powerful... Well, then why did he allow the temple to be destroyed in the first place? You know, if, if, if your God is all that and, and, and you should continue serving this God, why did he let the temple get destroyed? And having anticipated this question, well, they provided King Darius with the backstory, which is found there in verse 12, where they declared, because our fathers provoked the God of heaven to wrath, he gave them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, the Chaldean, who destroyed this temple and carried the people away to Babylon. They're saying, hey, it was all, it's our fault why it got destroyed in the first place. The temple was destroyed because the people of God disobeyed him. They disobeyed him. They did not keep their covenant with him. And now they realize that disobeying God is always a bad idea. Now, I know there's those people who say, well, if you, if you, if you say never or always, or the, these are loaded statements, and no, in this case, it's true. It's always a bad idea to disobey God without fail. That being the case, you know, they were willing to disobey a Persian king in order to obey the God of heaven and earth. Not only that, but they also justified their decision in this letter by appealing to the decree of a previous king, uh, namely King Cyrus. As a matter of fact, uh, let's pick up our study of Ezra 5, beginning at verse 13. There the elders of Israel go on to declare, however, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Babylon, uh, king Cyrus issued a decree to build this house of God. Also, the gold and silver articles of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple that was in Jerusalem and carried into the temple of Babylon, those King Cyrus took from the temple of Babylon and they were given to one named Sheshbazar, whom he had made governor. And he said to him, take these articles, go carry them to the temple site that is in Jerusalem and let the house of God be rebuilt on its former site. Then the same Sheshbazar came and laid the foundation of the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. But from that time, even until now, it has been under construction and it is not finished. Here in these verses, we find the elders of Israel. uh, They're now informing King Darius about the previous decree that King Cyrus had issued 17 years earlier. 
It was 17 years earlier when King Cyrus issued this decree. And we actually find the decree in Ezra chapter 1. It's in Ezra chapter 1, beginning at verse 2. There we read, thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, all the kingdoms of the earth and the Lord God of heaven uh, has given me, and he has commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah, who is among you of all his people. May his God be with him, and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is God, which is in Jerusalem. And whoever is left in any place where he dwells, let the men of his place help him with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, besides the freewill offerings for the house of God, which is in Jerusalem." As we consider this decree from uh, this Persian king Cyrus, you know, Cyrus was clearly intending for the people of God to not only return to Jerusalem, but also that they would begin building the temple of God and complete that construction project. And and remember, he not only issued this decree, but then he helped out financially. And and he did this by giving them all of the gold and the silver articles of the house of God, uh, which Nebuchadnezzar had actually taken from the temple that was in Jerusalem. So he restored all of this wealth back into the hands of the Israelites as he sent them back to Jerusalem to go and build the temple. And so with that, you know, the elders of Israel are saying, hey, we're building this temple, not only because we're the servants of God and God told us to do it, but we're also doing it because King Cyrus told us to do it. And after appealing to the authority of God as well as the authority of King Cyrus, the elders encouraged King King Darius to go check the facts for himself. Let's consider how they put it here in the final verse of this chapter. Look with me there at Ezra chapter 5. It's verse 17. There the elders of Israel declare, Now therefore, if it seems good to the king, let a search be made in the king's treasure house, which is there in Babylon, whether it is so that a decree was issued by King Cyrus to build this house of God at Jerusalem and let the king send us his pleasure concerning this matter. Now, here in the final verse of this chapter, you know, we find the elders of Israel. They're encouraging King Darius to go and search the records for himself. They're saying, hey, don't don't take our word for it. You should have the records yourself. You see, they knew that the Persian records would support their claims about the decree given by King Cyrus. And with that being the case, you know, they, they knew that the facts would justify their right to rebuild the temple. That's why I love quoting people. That's why I love to you know, tell people, hey, don't, don't take my word for it. Here's what they said. When, when I go minister to, to the people in the cults, you know, I, I pull out their books. And, and I show them the problems with, with their information. And that's what these elders are doing. They're saying, hey, go, go check your own records. It'll completely support what I'm saying. And with all this being the case, I want to remind you that it was the enemies of Israel who used half-truths and whole lies in order to convince the king of Persia that the people of God were doing something wrong. Remember, it was in our study last week when we found them directing King Darius to look for specific information that painted the Israelites in the worst light. And so they're they're trying to, to focus uh, the, the mind of King Darius on specific things without saying, hey, oh, and by the way, check out what King Cyrus did as well. Oh, they want to leave that part out. So, so they're using half-truths and, and even whole lies in order to convince King Darius that the Israelites were up to no good. And it's sad to say that 
you know, that people are doing that, uh, the same thing with Israel in this day and age. People are using half-truths and whole lies in order to paint the people of God in the worst possible light. And it's sad to say that the Israelites back then, they initially allowed the antagonists to stop them from rebuilding the temple, you know, uh, according to the commands that were given by their heavenly king, as well as the, uh, the king of, of Persia, uh, King Cyrus. They, they allowed these antagonists to stop them from obeying God. But then came the day when they finally realized that it was always better to obey the word of God. When the prophets Haggai and Zechariah were raised up to rebuke the people, they received the rebuke, and they realized that it would be better for them to obey the word of God, even if this means that they were going to suffer the persecution of corrupt political leaders. And listen, it's important for us to understand that their fear of man became bondage. And it was bondage that led them to disobey God. Their fear of man became bondage, and that bondage caused them to disobey God. This is precisely the point that King Solomon is making in Proverbs chapter 9, it's verse 25, where he declares, The fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. I love that. The fear of man brings a snare. The fear of man puts us in bondage. But those who will simply trust in the Lord can walk in obedience and not worry about the consequences. Christian, listen, if you're willing to disobey God because you're afraid to take a stand against some sort of godless government, I hope you realize that you've allowed the fear of man to become a snare, which, simply put, is nothing more than bondage. And I like the way that the Lord Jesus addresses this in Matthew chapter 10. It's there where he declares, do not fear them. Speaking of corrupt rulers, he says, do not fear them. For there's nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. And what you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Jesus is saying, hey, I'm giving you a mission here. You're going to go out and preach this message, and these unrighteous rulers are going to try to stop you. They're going to try to scare you. They're going to try to keep you from accomplishing the Great Commission. Don't fear them. And don't worry about it when they lie about you behind your back, and don't worry about it when they create you know, false narratives about you. Don't worry about it. The truth will eventually come out. And what more can they do besides kill your body, which, hey, for us is a straight ticket to heaven. So break out the guillotines, whatever you got to do. Let's get this party started. I, I'm, I'm totally fine with going to heaven. But I'm not going to live in the fear of men. I'm not going to live in the fear of corrupt politicians who want to try to control me with lies. Neither should you. 
If we allow the fear of men to keep us from obeying the truth of God's word, or if we uh, allow the fear of sickness or the fear uh, of you know, persecution or, or, or the fear of rejection, if we allow the fear of anything to keep us from obeying the truth of God's word, we're living in bondage. We're living in bondage to fear. And we're failing to realize that the rulers of this world are extremely limited in the amount of persecution and punishment that they can actually inflict. Yeah, they might be able to persecute us for an hour. They might be able to, you know, kill our fallen flesh. Was it that great to begin with that you want to hold on to it that much? In contrast to this, listen, the judgment of the Lord is an everlasting judgment. You want to fear something? Fear that. Fear the everlasting judgment of the God who can punish the body and soul in hell forevermore. That should be a fear that motivates us and moves us to obedience. And with that, I can assure you that it's always better to obey the Lord. And yes, even when the unrighteous rulers of this world threaten to punish us. Not only that, but I want to consider this whole principle at, the, at just the social level. Let's just remove the idea that there could be a corrupt government that might try to persecute those who believe in, in God, you know, because you know, that, that'll never happen here in America, right? <laughs> but let's just imagine you know, how this plays out at the social level. I want to remind you that the Israelites ended up allowing the disapproval of the angry antagonists who were living in the land to stop them from accomplishing the construction of God's temple. They stopped building the temple because the naysayers came along and said, you have to stop. The king said so. Okay. Well, if you guys are telling us that the king said so, I guess we'll have to do what you're telling us to do. And what can we do? Our hands are tied. Let's stop building for 17 years because some angry antagonist told us that we had to stop. Really? That's all it took? It just took, you know, a, a, a crowd of, of, of angry unbelievers to, to shut it down. In similar fashion, you know there's many Christians in the church today who are allowing the disapproval of angry antagonists to keep us from building up the temple of God. In order to explain what I mean, I want to consider something that Paul wrote in the letter that he sent to the church in Ephesus. And so, But this is the focus. If you would, let's open our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. Now, as you're making your way to the second chapter of Ephesians, I just want to take a moment to remind you that every born-again believer has become the temple of the Holy Spirit. We see that several times in the New Testament. The the born-again believer is the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit now dwells within us. But not only that, according to Paul, we, as individual temples, so to speak, are being built together to become a dwelling place of God here on the earth. Yeah, together we are being built up into the temple of God. A dwelling place, a mystical house, if you will, for the Spirit of God. Let's consider how Paul puts it here in Ephesians chapter 2. Look with me there beginning at verse 18. Here Paul declares, Through him we both have access by one Spirit to the Father, Now, therefore, 
you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the spirit. Incredible. What an incredible truth to realize that, yes, we're individually the temple of the Holy Spirit in the, in, the, in the sense that the Holy Spirit takes up residence within us, and yet at the same time, we must not fail to, to recognize the, the, the way that our community is being built together so that we together are becoming a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Every born-again believer is being built up together with every other born-again believer as we become you know, the dwelling place of God. And, and I like the way that the Apostle Peter put it in 1 Peter chapter 2, where he informs us that you know, we've actually become living stones who are being built up into a spiritual house, which then ends up uh, enabling us to become you know, servants who are acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. So just imagine for a moment that you're a living stone and you're a living stone and you're a living stone and every born-again believer here tonight is an individual living stone that is then incorporated into a, a, you know, a, a full structure. As we consider the way that every new believer is actually just another expansion upon the spiritual house of God, well, then the question that we ought to be asking is this. Am I building the temple? Am I actively building up the temple of God as I lead the lost to the Lord Jesus Christ? Because every time I lead a lost person to Jesus Christ, we've just added one more stone to the temple. So how about it? Are we building up the temple? Stone by stone, brick by brick, person by person? Conversion by conversion, are we building up the temple? Or have I allowed the angry antagonists of this world to stop me from sharing my faith? Well, I might get fired. Yeah? So, so disobey? Well, I might be rejected. My spouse might leave me. I might be persecuted. So, so that's, that's cause for disobedience? Is it? Is it that easy to shut us down? Have we allowed today's cancel culture to convince us that we must stop building up the body of Christ because, you know, the government doesn't like it or or our boss won't like it or society won't like it? Or are we going to be those committed Christians? who continue this construction project by helping unbelievers to become the living stones of God's holy temple as we continue building up the body of Christ. Christian, listen, the Lord has called every Christian to go out and preach the gospel of grace. This is our great commission, and this is our calling to go and build a dwelling place here on the earth where the Spirit of God can dwell, and we ought to be expanding upon this building project every day. With this as the goal, let's just ignore the angry antagonists who are trying to silence our faith by convincing us that we're not allowed to build. 
You don't have the proper permit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do. It's called the word of God. I've been given a great commission. There's no higher authority than God. And he said, go and do this. It's all the permit we need. So let's ignore the angry antagonist. Let's ignore the cancel culture. Let's quit worrying about what they're going to say about us behind our back. Yeah, they're going to lie. They might even tell the truth. But what does that matter? We've been given a great commission. Let's fulfill it. Let's get to work so that we can expand the temple of God. Conversion by conversion. Let's pray.